So last week, as we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, we considered that there are different kinds of tongues, both public and private. And tongues that are expressed aloud could be in a human language that is unknown to the speaker, but known to the hearer, and those kinds of tongues like we see in the book of Acts chapter 2, those kinds of tongues serve as a sign and a wonder. Tongues that are expressed publicly in a corporate setting, in the church or in a corporate meeting of some kind, if a tongue is expressed publicly in a corporate setting and it is meant for communicating a message to the church or confirming a word from God, those kinds of tongues, those types of tongues, should be accompanied with interpretation so that everyone understands it. And then we saw that tongues that are expressed in private are for the edification, the building up of the speaker, and are typically part of prayer, praise, and worship of God. So public tongues private tongues, we are praying for how we would receive tongues and the interpretation of tongues and so on. But the whole point from last week was that there are different types of tongues and that we can seek the tongues or the gift of tongues from God. Today, as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 13 through 25, we'll spend a little bit more time on tongues and interpretation of tongues and then get into the topic of prophecy. So let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. 
So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. We can pray in the Spirit in terms of yielding our tongues to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to speak through our mouths even without knowing exactly what we are saying. So even though we may have words that are coming out of our mouths, we are trusting the Holy Spirit, we are speaking by the Spirit, and we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to glorify the Lord even though we don't understand exactly. We're not translating it, we're not interpreting it directly, and we're just speaking in tongues. And we can also pray with words, with sounds, that are formed in our minds and expressed with knowledge. So typically for us, we pray in English. And we pray, or we may pray in another language, known language. And we do that through our minds. We, we are conscious of what we're saying. We have knowledge of what we're expressing. And then we do that, and we say, and that's what the word is describing, that you may pray in the spirit, you may pray in, with your mind. But both these expressions, whether we're speaking in a tongue that is unknown to us, or we're speaking in words that we have formed in our minds, both these expressions, they are or they need to be by the inspiration and instruction of the same Holy Spirit. We're not saying when we pray in tongues, that's the only time that the Holy Spirit is giving us a word. And when we pray in the mind or with our thinking, then the Holy Spirit is not involved. No. We're saying in both expressions, it needs to be by the instruction and the impartation of the Holy Spirit. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit for any kind of utterance. We're simply making the point that the Holy Spirit can choose to give us utterance in tongues. So, and, and you've got to come back as we're looking at these and we're talking about interpretation and so on. Note that in verse 22, verse 22 is reiterating that the public expression of tongues is to be assigned to unbelievers. Right? When you're praying on your own, when you're in private, that is not being stated as such to unbelievers. But when there's the public expression of tongues, it is to be assigned to unbelievers. How? That means that a message in unknown tongues should be accompanied with interpretation in a known language for the benefit of those who don't know the Lord Jesus. The knowledge that is coming here is through the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, through, to, to get to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So in verse 12, remember when we were reading in verse 12 last week, it, the end of the portion last week, it's, verse 12 stated, Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. When we seek the gifts of the Spirit, we're not saying, Lord, I want to look good. Lord, I want this because I think it, it seems cool. Right? Or, Lord, I want this because I saw my friend or my, you know, my mentor or somebody else doing it and I want it too. No, we're saying, Lord God, give me the gifts so that I, along with my brother, my sister, everybody else in the body of Christ, can exercise these gifts for the building up of the church. I am one part, here's another part. Each of us doing our part will build up the church. So I'm not desiring these gifts for my glory. I'm desiring these gifts for the fellowship of the church, the building up of the church, and the glory of the Lord. 
So when we come together and we say, Lord God, help us, grant us grace, we are praying to you, we are praying to excel in those gifts that build up the church. And now here what we read in verse 13, we read today in this portion, that is what is the immediate follow-up from what was in verse 12. Because verse 13 says, for this reason, what reason? Since we are eager for the gifts of the Spirit and seek to excel in those gifts that, that build up the church, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For this reason, because we're seeking to build up the church, one who speaks in a, in a tongue should, should pray that they may interpret what they say. Which means that we are individually, we must individually and collectively pray for the interpretation of tongues. The Bible describes this as a gift from the Lord. And so we have to pray. And we have to say, Lord God, not, we don't just want tongues. We don't want something flashy and something to be seen. But when we pray for tongues, we're also praying for the interpretation of tongues so that with tongues are spoken publicly in the church, there will be interpretation either directly through the speaker or through someone else in the congregation. So, and it's very possible that the person who speaks in a tongue for the benefit of the body has the interpretation themselves, but it's also very likely that the person who speaks in the tongue gives the tongue or the message as such and someone else has the interpretation. And as I said last week, this is very prone to abuse, to misuse, to misappropriation in that sense, right? And where we could do something in the flesh. It is necessary for us to be very mindful of what the word cautions and how the word needs to be applied. And we'll get to a little bit more about that in just a second. But the important thing is that there be a mandate, that there be a directive in us to pray for this. Many times we shy away from the spiritual gifts and we talk, we don't want to talk much about anything that is, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm not sure, I, I'm not clear whether that will work correctly. I've seen it not being done right. And because of those fears and concerns, we don't pray for the gifts. But the Bible is clear, pray. Pray for the gifts. Ask the Lord, desire them. Seek to excel in those gifts that build up the church. And if we're praying for the gift of tongues to be expressed in the church, then pray for the interpretation of tongues. That's how the balance can be brought in. That's how the fullness of what God intends for us can be achieved. So we don't want something for our sakes. We want something for the Lord's sake. And so we pray in this way. Now, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is manifest in both the utterance through the speaker and the interpretation through the interpreter. Could be the same person interpreting, but through both, the Holy Spirit is being manifest. Right? It's not one is done by a, you know, in the natural and the other is done in the spirit or one, you know, vice versa, whichever way you want to think about it. It's not like that. Both have to be through the Holy Spirit. And because it is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in this, and that is at work in all of us, because it is the same Holy Spirit, there are some common characteristics of how 
interpretation of tongues should operate in the church. So let me go through these points and then we'll go, you know, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything exhaustively. We'll talk more about this in the sermon discussion on Wednesday. And I encourage you to participate in that, ask questions, raise these things. Let's come back to these topics and keep reinforcing the, what the Word says about them. But what I'm sharing this morning is some of these common characteristics about interpretation of tongues. Now, first, the Lord will raise up in the church those who have the gift of interpretation, those that are then ready to exercise that gift, because the Bible speaks about that as a gift from God. We don't apply for it, right? We don't, we don't, have, we don't post a job opening and say, we're looking for some interpreters, right? Apply here, and then, you know, send us a sample. Uh, we, you know, like, we don't do that. We say, Lord God, we need you to give this gift and to raise up people from amongst us who can interpret the tongues. Right? That's, that's something that we're praying for. And this is an important point. Tongues should be expressed publicly, meaning you believe that you have a word that is for the church and you're going to say this in tongues and you, you, you believe that the Lord is moving on you to do that. They should be expressed in public only when the interpreters are present. So if you know for sure that there is someone there who can interpret tongues, then you say, I believe I have a word from the Lord in tongues. But, and we're going to see this actually in verse 28 next week. When we're in verse 28 next week, we'll see this explicitly referenced. But the Bible is clear. If you believe that you have a word from the Lord in tongues, then either you or somebody else should have an interpretation. So there is a guideline there. That's what Paul is saying. Don't just... Stand up and start shouting. Ask the Lord that there will be interpretation. And if there is no interpretation, be quiet, he says. Right? Now, next. There is one interpretation. Not conflicting versions from multiple interpreters. We have three interpreters in our church and each one of them gave a different interpretation of the tongue that was provided. That is not of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that is working of, to, be of, to bring us into one mind and to one accord, will not give a tongue through one person and three different interpretations. Right? He will give us the single interpretation. And so we should be praying and asking for that and expecting that. What, by the way, in the Corinthian church, there seemed to be some misuse in this way, which is why Paul makes this correction. Remember, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is largely a corrective letter. He's writing to them to say, hey, these things are going on in your midst and they're not good. They're not right. So make these corrections. Make these changes. So there was all of this stuff going on. And, and by the way, this is very easy to do, right? Because you, I've got it. I know it. And we tend to do that. We tend to elevate self over the Holy Spirit. And so there can be these kinds of situations in our midst. And so second point was, you know, just we should not have conflicting in interpretations. The next one is that the interpretation of tongues is meant to turn our attention to the Lord and away from both the speaker and the interpreter. The interpretation is not, you know, 
I, you know, I can give a very accurate interpretation. Oh, that specific tongue or that word meant this, and then that come. We're not trying to draw attention to the speaker or to the interpreter. The interpretation of tongues should be to give glory to God, should be to draw attention to the Lord. If that's not happening, again, you've got to look at that and say, what exactly is going on? And this is very important in terms of how we discern interpretations. The interpretation of tongues should be consistent with what the Lord has already communicated, particularly through His Word. The Lord has given His Word, and the Word describes itself as being complete, being everything that we need for life and godliness. That means that if there is a tongue with interpretation or a prophetic utterance or any other way in which someone will say this is what the Lord wants to communicate to you it needs to be consistent with what the Lord has already said with the word that has already been given the discernment of both the tongues the message in tongues and the interpretation as being from the Lord requires that we study all of the word of God in context and carefully examine what we hear according to the Word of God. If we don't do that, we stand in danger of either dismissing something from the Lord or receiving something that is not from the Lord. So we need to be discerning of what is spoken. And how are we discerning? The primary means of that discernment is the fact that we will know the Word of God, examine what we're hearing according to the Word of God, and allow the Word of God to be the judge, the arbiter, not us. Right? So, some guidelines in that regard to interpretation, meaning these common characteristics that should be there for interpretation of tongues. The purpose of public tongues with interpretation is the same as the purpose of prophecies. Remember we said this last week too, Paul, Paul speaks about these in the same breath, tongues and prophecies. He speaks about it like that because he says these are all meant for the common good. These are all meant for building up the church. We read in verse 3 and 4 last week, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a private tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So even as he's speaking about tongues and prophecies in the same breath and we're looking at tongues or we've considered different types of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, I want to switch a little bit and talk about prophecies because what it means is just as much as we can and should pray for tongues and their interpretation, we must individually and collectively Pray for prophecy, which is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. Again, we tend to shy away from this. Our Pentecostals and Charismatics and those that believe in gifts of prophecy and so on have gotten a bad name. Right? There has been abuse of this. And so we say, oh, I don't know if I should pray for prophecy. But the Bible is clear. Pray for it. Pray for it, but pray for it with the right motives. In the book of James, as we're going through in our prayer time, you know, in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we just went through the portion in James 4, which says, you know, you, you don't ha receive what you ask for because you ask with wrong motives. 
You ask so that you can spend it on your own desires, your own pleasures. But when we ask according to the will of God, when we ask with the right motives, when we say, Lord, we see this in your word, we see that this is your command and your directive, and we're asking according to that word, then we can have confidence that the Lord hears us and answers. And so we can pray for prophecy. But what is the motivation? Why should we pray for prophecy in the church? Why should we say, Lord God, give the gift of prophecy in our church? So that people would be strengthened, so that people would be encouraged, so that people would be comforted. That's the reason that we want to do that. Remember, prophecy is the ability to receive and proclaim a message from God. This is not a teaching from the Word of God. This is not the thoughts and, you know, sort of, ideas of the person who is speaking. This is the spontaneous utterance of the Holy Spirit giving a word from God for the benefit of others. Right? So we're saying prophetic word can be given that way. Now, a prophetic word of that kind could, could involve the foretelling of future events. What's, what's to happen? What will happen? And there are plenty of prophecies in the Word of God that speak of events that are yet to be. There are things that were spoken of in the Old Testament that have now been fulfilled, and there are things that are spoken of in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that are yet to be fulfilled. So clearly, prophecy can be foretelling, telling something about the future, what is going to happen. However, the primary purpose of prophecy is foretelling. Not foretelling, to say something about the future primarily, but to speak what is current, what is present, what is of the Lord for now. Because the one who prophesies is speaking to people to communicate a specific message from God. And when we say that that specific message from God is for strengthening, encouragement, consolation, comfort, they are doing that. The prophet is speaking that through instruction, do this, change this, repent in this way. Why? Because the Lord says that He is holy. He, they're, they're giving specific instruction, teaching, and, and word to the people, or they're giving certain impartation. People were set apart for ministry. There was a, a power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that was manifest in the midst of the people. There was impartation that came through a prophetic word a spontaneous utterance and, and so on. And there is a warning. There are many, many passages where there are warnings that are given. The prophet says, this is what the Lord is saying to you. If you continue in this way, you're going to end up in, a, in a, you know, all sorts of calamities and, and all sorts of problems. And so he's, the prophet is speaking in these ways of instruction, impartation, warning. And in all of these ways, they are trying to be sensitive to and listening to the Holy Spirit. You know, we, 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 they're speaking only what the Lord wants them to say. Now, again, there's potential for abuse. Because, or there's potential for just making a mistake. Because you are hearing from the Lord, and you think you heard this one, whatever that statement was, but your own thoughts, your own fears, your own concerns sometimes get mixed in. 
You'll notice that even in the Old Testament prophets, many times the prophets themselves are heavily burdened personally. Right? They're saying, oh God, I don't want to go and give this word. Jonah ran from God. Isaiah is like, uh, who am I to go and say these things? You know, Jeremiah says, I, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't want this burden. Right? I mean, th there, there's a lot of personal emotion in the prophet. And sometimes that kind of sentiment, you know, and you'll see this even in examples where the prophet expresses something in anger. Maybe God gave a word of warning, but the prophet is so upset with the people. When Jonah speaks to the people of Nineveh, it's very clear he's not doing that because he likes to do it. He's not saying, oh, you Ninevites, oh, you wonderful people, you know, God has given you a word of warning. He says, oh, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to do this and I hate you people, and, you know, but I'm just telling you what the Lord says. Right? I mean, so the personal emotion starts to come out and you have to still discern in the middle of all of that what is actually from the Lord. Thankfully, the Ninevites at that time, they, they said, oh, the Lord is telling us to repent and they repented which Jonah didn't like. But, you know, the, the whole point is that there is this potential for the prophet to get mixed in with the prophecy. And we'll get to a little bit of that even next week when we talk about this and how to sort of think about correct, you know, how to, how to be correcting or how to think of false prophets and all of that. I'll allude to a little bit today, but we'll wrap up on that next week when we talk about orderliness. All of these things that the Bible tells us to do this was meant to be so that, there, that the functioning of the church will be orderly. And so we'll talk about that now, uh, next week. The primary role of the Old Testament prophet, and, and the Old Testament prophets tended to be quite independent. God would raise up a prophet and they would come and they would say what they had to say and then you, you know, sort of see them you know, not, not on the scene. However, there are references to the school of the prophets. There are, there are references to other prophets that we don't really know their names even. And so there were prophets in the time. And even when King Saul was anointed to be king, and, he, and the Bible says he spoke in tongues, the people say, oh, is Saul amongst one of the prophets? And so there was recognition of prophets and prophecy and so on. But in general they were speaking quite independently. Each of these prophets would speak kind of independently. And they would, their, their purpose, their primary role was to make known the holiness of God and the covenant obligations. God had established a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants. And the prophets would say, this is what it means to be holy before the Lord. This is what it means to observe his covenant. And in the period leading up to the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BC, so in the 6th century BC, the children of Israel were taken into captivity in Babylon. Before that, in the period leading up to that, the prophets often delivered messages that were denouncing empty ritualism, apostasy, where they were going away from God, rebellion, they were just going against God, and disobedience, they were just not doing what the Lord said, rampant social injustice, they were taking advantage of each other, and the oppression of the poor. And the prophets would come and just, you know, speak to them repeatedly. You're doing the wrong thing. You're hurting your fellow man. Don't do this. And they were calling God's covenant people, the children of Israel, to repentance and faithfulness. And they said, oh God, Speak to your people and, oh people, listen to God. Repent. 
Be faithful. Come back to the Lord. Don't keep doing this that you're doing. Now, after the exile, after the Babylonian exile, when they came back to the promised land in you know, depleted numbers and with far less of what they had before and so on, you will notice that after that, the prophets spoke more specifically of the promise of national renewal and the spiritual blessings that come from trusting God and obeying his will. So their focus is more on, look, you've been, you, uh, we warned you, you didn't obey, God led you into exile, now he's brought you back, here are the promises, here are the statements that he's making, here's what he wants to tell you about how you need to turn to him and trust him and obey him. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God unfolding his plan through prophecy for the coming Messiah, Jesus. So the primary role of the New Testament prophet, where the New Testament prophet is a much more interdependent with all of the offices that the Lord gives to the church, apostles and teachers and pastors and so on, and evangelists, and he says, you know, I want you to be in the building up of the body, building up of the church, not just speaking to the nation of Israel, but for the building up of the church of God, the body of Christ across the world. And the primary role now of the New Testament prophet is to declare a message of grace and hope that is rooted in the gospel, in the gospel message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So for us today, the ultimate aim and primary focus of prophecy should be to bear witness to the person of Jesus. Prophecy must be fundamentally Christ-centered. It goes without saying that anyone who claims to speak in the name of the Lord, anyone who says, thus says the Lord, as, as there are phrases in the Bible, and you may hear people say that even today. Anybody who says something like that, or as we read in the book of Acts, if someone makes a statement, it seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit to do this. You know, there's a phrase like that that is used when they're setting apart people or to do things. Or even to say, I believe this is what the Lord is saying. You're not saying, thus says the Lord, but you're saying, I believe this is what the Lord is saying. Anything in that range, in those type of statements that you would make, where you believe that you're communicating a word from God, you have to speak with an acute sense of responsibility, accountability, and fear of the Lord. You can't get up and say, thus says the Lord, and just say whatever you want. There has to be an acute sense of the responsibility you have, of the accountability you must have before God and others, and there must be the fear of the Lord. That you don't just say, oh, I can say whatever I want. No, but you say, oh God, our, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an all-powerful God. I can't just stand up and say and do whatever I want. There's a consequence for it. No one can presume to speak for the Lord and just say whatever they think or perceive with their senses. And sadly, we have had too many people, especially in the recent past, who have presumed to speak for the Lord. So that, that whole set of actions that took place led to a group of Christian leaders issuing a statement in April 2021 about prophecy, 
they issued a statement about what standards there should be and how to judge it and so on. And I'll share a few highlights from it. I'm just going to read a few statements from it. There, the statement is much, a uh, few of the sections from the larger statement. Um, and again, this is not meant for to be exhaustive. You can go and find this yourselves. But one of the statements they made is this. We recognize that prophets do not serve as spiritual fortune tellers. You don't go to the prophet to say, oh, which job should I take? Right? Uh, or, or should I buy this lottery ticket? Right? You know, I mean, we're not, we're not using prophets and we're not thinking of prophecy and the things that uh, expression of prophecy as fortune telling. Right? We're not looking at them as a means of satisfying our curiosity. Hey, do you know what will happen in three days' time? Can you tell me? You know, like, I mean, this is not, you know, or we're not asking them to reveal abstract information. Can you prophesy about this? Can you do that? You know, this is not, God's purpose in prophecy is redemptive, calling for repentance, giving supernatural guidance, bringing comfort, deliverance, restoration, and glorifying Jesus as Lord. Next statement that was made, or next statement that I'm reading. We believe that prophecies should first be tested by the word. Then if the prophetic word is not contrary to the scriptures, it should be evaluated by other mature leaders. If a prophecy is given in the context of a local church, then mature leaders in that setting should evaluate it. If a prophecy is given in the context of a region or a nation, then mature regional or national leaders should be invited to evaluate the word. Those who refuse to have their words tested or evaluated should not be given a platform. Right? We recognize the unique challenges posed by the internet and social media as anyone claiming to be a prophet can release a word to the general public without any accountability or even responsibility. While it is not possible to stop the flood of such words online, we urge all believers to check the lives and fruit of those they follow online and also see if they are part of a local church body and have true accountability for their public ministries and personal lives. We also urge prophetic ministers posting unfiltered and untested words purportedly from the Lord to first submit those words to peer leaders for evaluation. We agree the scripture us, instructs us not to despise prophecies, but to examine prophetic utterances carefully and to hold fast to that which is good. This also means that we should cultivate honor and respect for true prophetic ministries rather than an attitude of skepticism or scorn. We also agree that the greatest requirement for all leaders in the church, including prophetic leaders, is to endeavor to reflect the character of Christ and to utilize their gifts out of love for God, his people, and the lost. We value humility, integrity, and accuracy in prophetic ministry in order to protect the faith and trust of those who hear a word that is stated to be from God. It is a sacred thing to claim to speak for the Lord and in keeping with the words of Jesus, to whom much is given, much is required. And just as those who teach are held to a higher standard of accountability, so also those who prophesy should be held to a higher standard. They can have a powerful influence over people's lives for better or worse, because of which we urge sobriety and circumspection together with faith and boldness. Again, like I said, we can 
address some of these points in the sermon discussion, and I'll come to a couple of these things later next week when we talk about orderliness. But I want to bring this to a close to say that this, what I've been talking so far, is about how we as believers would use the gift, would pray for the gift, would have these constraints or guidelines that direct us as per the Word of God, not according to our thinking. But one more point about prophecy. I've mentioned before that prophecy may be accompanied with the word of knowledge. And in verse 24 and 25, it tells us that prophecy and the knowledge that God provides about a situation or person can bring conviction of sin to unbelievers who happen to be visiting and who hear their secrets laid bare. So there is a way in which that prophetic word, which Paul saying, you know, earlier, it is for believers. That prophetic word, he also says just a little later, can be for unbelievers in the sense that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin on that person through the word that is uttered, with the speaker not knowing anything about that previously, they didn't research it, find it out, and then just try to say something. They are speaking of the Lord. It brings conviction to the hearer. Their hearts are laid bare, and it allows for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. And so this morning, I want to conclude with the same statement that I made last week, that we respond and apply the Word of God. We respond and apply this Word of God that we have heard by seeking to build up the church in every way, especially in the exercise of spiritual gifts, which includes tongues and prophecies. There's much for us to desire, much for us to be rejoicing and much for us to anticipate. When we say, Lord God, you, you fill us, you use us, you do with us whatever you want. We're not judging these things based on our perceptions or our, on our fears or our past experience or whatever it may be. We are saying, Lord God, you do what is good and right. You do everything that you have purposed. You build your church. That's our response to the Lord. So this morning I want to encourage you. Let us be a church that prays for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the ways that the Lord intends, not according to what we think, not according to you know, what some other work is happening. We're not imitating. We're not trying to do something else. We're not trying to fabricate. We're saying, Lord God, you do your work that is necessary to build up this church, this group of people that have joined together, this group of people that you have brought together, how should we desire and excel in those gifts that build up the church? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. And Lord, as we submit to you, and as we yield to you, Lord, you have great things in store for us. Many times we pray for blessings and gifts and Lord, provision, and we're thinking only of material things. But Lord, even as we sang earlier, it's not about the blessings, it's not about the provision, it's about you. And when we are in your presence, when we draw close to you, when we seek to hear you, Lord, you speak to us for the benefit of others. You give us words that can be uttered so that others will hear it and benefit. And so, Lord, we do pray. We do pray for all the gifts of the Spirit. We pray, indeed, for tongues and prophecies. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us, 
Fill our mouths so that what, we, what comes out of our mouths will be for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.